home and I've been volunteering here once a week um, at the Norfolk Heritage Centre um, for the past year now. I've just completed my undergraduate degree in English literature um, and I started um, volunteering here because I took a few um, medieval and early modern modules through my second and third year, or particularly in my second year, and um, decided I really ought to start thinking about what I was going to do post-graduation, which seems a little ironic now that I'm just doing a master's, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's work experience under my belt for when I do enter the adult world. Um, so initially we decided that um, I'd be working um, like closely with the City Library Collection, which I'll go on to explain in a little bit. Um, and I've got quite distracted with other projects along the way, but it's been really nice to revisit the, um, this is just a tiny selection of the collection um, in preparation for this talk. Um, my mum is really confused every time I say that I'm working with the City Library because um, she always thinks I'm referring to the library as a whole, um, which is not the case. Um, we're just um, a small collection within a collection um, here at the Millennium Library. Um, so the Norfolk Heritage Centre is the top floor of the library um, and the city collection um, is a collection of um, Renaissance, early modern books um, that we have up here, um, which almost exclusively relates to Norwich and Norfolk um, stuff, basically. Um, so we have a lot of school visits here um, that I've kind of touched on stuff before, so this is quite a new experience for me. I'll try not to slip into primary school tone of voice, <laughs> but my apologies if I do, I've got a bit too used to that. Um, and I feel as though I'm as far away from an expert as you can get, but I have spent a bit of time with, with these books. So if anyone does have any questions along the way, please do just interrupt me. Um, I don't want to just talk at you for um, however long. Um, and I'll, yeah, I'll do my best at answering any questions that you have. Um, so is anyone familiar with the um, Heritage Centre or the City Library at all? Has anyone been here before? A few nods, okay, that's good. Um, is, and like early modern texts, is anyone like familiar with those? Okay, so nods again, that's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll start a bit with the basics because I know there are some people that, that aren't so familiar. Um, so I've said some of that already. Um, so a lot of these books, well, all of these books aren't available for you to take home, but they are available for you to come and have a look at um, if you do want to. And we've also got our sister site, the Record Office, um, which you could also go and have a look at stuff over there um, if it kind of, like Rachel was saying, whets your appetite here. We've got a lot of Norwich-based paraphernalia. Um, but yes, today is about the City Library collection. Um, so... We have a lot to boast about here um, because we are the first public library outside of London. Um, the library was funded, um, funded? founded in 1608 by the mayor of Norwich at the time, um, John Pettus. Um, he had quite an involved role to play. There was um, kind of various bills and stuff that were passed in the run-up to it, which I won't go into. Um, but he is credited as the founder of the library. He doesn't appear to have um, contributed financially to it um, in as much as purchasing books, um, but he was instrumental in um, the logistics of organising St Andrew's Hall as the library's first home. Um, there were bits and pieces of renovation and 
what not that happened to make it a suitable home for the library. Um, and he did um, donate a collection of books um, to get things going at the time as well. Um, but didn't see fit to have the librarians paid at the time. I feel like I could go on about a uh, tangent about council funding, but I'll uh, restrain myself. Um, there's, there is little evidence there was much money dedicated to the purchasing of books at the time. It seems initially um, they were relying on donations from wealthy patrons and members of Norwich, like John Pettis. Um, but having said that, the first 50 years of the library are not especially well documented, so you know, it's, it's a bit hard to say. Um, but the previous librarian here, um, a previous librarian here, Clive Wilkins-Jones, um, has written a very in-depth book about, um, it features a lot of the minutes and whatnot, beautifully modelled by Rachel. Um, so if anyone's interested in the kind of, it's, some of it's a bit dry, I have to say, but it's, um, it's got a lot of the minutes in there from meetings and whatnot. So if anyone's interested in that, then um, it is, there's some um, gems of information in there. Yeah. Um, I can't um, admit to having trawled through all the minutes myself, I have to say, um, but it is from those surviving documents that we know um, about most of the kind of ins and outs of the library itself. Um, so the first 50 years, it was mostly left to run itself, um, but in 1628, so about 20 years after its founding, a dictionary was purchased, um, probably at the request of its users. Um, so I quite like that things seem to be run then much how they are now. Users will request a book and the book will be purchased or acquired um, in any way that they are able. Um, and then another 20 odd years later, a map was also repaired. Um, maps are also like a big thing that we have in the Heritage Centre. So if people are interested in maps, then we've got loads of those too. Um, then there was just this small matter of the Civil War, um, so attention was kind of diverted away from the library, there's um, kind of records drop off again. Um, but then the minister of St Peter Mancroft at the time um, died and he kind of lamented the disrepair of the library um, and this kind of prompted things to um, kind of get going again. Um, in its initial years, the library was aimed at and mostly used by travelling preachers, um, hence this influence from this minister to kind of get things going again. Um, these visiting preachers could um, also find lodging at the library. So again, it's always kind of been a multifunctional space. I quite like that there are lots of mirrors between how it was used then and how we still use it now, although don't try sleeping overnight. I'm not saying that that's how you use it now. Um, <laughs> um, so this practice of having travelling preachers um, come to the city um, was quite a regular one, it was quite encouraged, um, and this is what resulted in the tailoring of the library. Um, I'll go on to mention um, the kind of books that we have here, but um, there is overwhelmingly a lot of Bibles, um, was the first thing that I noticed. Um, so previously to the creation of libraries, um, like this one, like, like the city collection, um, preachers would have relied on the Book of Homilies, um, but as the education and um, spiritual kind of exploration of the clergy increased, um, the Book of Homily wasn't deemed kind of a significant enough text to use just on its own. Um, so, like I said, um, being a library initially aimed at this kind of really religious core audience, there are a lot of Bibles, um, but there are a lot of um, kind of discussion-based books on um, faith and spirituality and how best to interpret um, 
with noble and religious teachings, etc. Um, so, through the minutes that do survive, that again, I haven't trawled through, um, there does seem to be a push in uniting members. Um, both of the assembly responsible for running the library and also for the users themselves, um, especially kind of post-Civil War, like potentially quite dividing times. Um, the library as a way of uniting people, I quite like that. Um, so although there is, like I keep saying, this kind of overwhelming number of religious texts, um, there's, um, we'll look at some in a moment, there's some pseudo-scientific texts, um, kind of mythological-based texts, um, historical texts, um, Kind of English history-based texts. There's there's a surprising amount of diversity, and I just get quite excited about it all. I'm not going to lie. Um, unsurprisingly, the Bible does remain the dominating feature of the library. Um, and I'll be honest, I wasn't thrilled with that discovery when I first kind of was released into the stack where we keep all the um, fragile books. Um, in the first few weeks of my volunteering here. Um, I just kind of got to go in the stack and have a little rummage around and see what I liked, which was very exciting. Um, I was in my element, um, but yeah, I couldn't help noticing how overwhelmingly biblical it was. Um, there are some Bibles of note though for people who are interested. Um, there's a Vulgate Bible which remains one of the most authoritative, transla authoritative translations used by the Catholic Church still today. Um, and there's the Wycliffe Bible as well, which I was hoping we could have out, but um, it's looking a bit sad at the moment, a bit fragile, um, uh, because there's a dedica dedicatory um, note to the Berlin family. So that's just quite an exciting um, like one-off um, text that we have here. Um, but sorry to disappoint you, we won't be looking at it today. Um, there's a number of polyglot Bibles as well, um, which present the Bible in multiple languages. Um, which kind of reflects this push for diversity as well. Um, the Antwerp Polyglot, which I've got somewhere, um, includes Latin, Hebrew, and Greek, among other languages, um, which I can't say I'm about to translate or even read for you, but it's quite exciting to have a look at anyway. Um, it's just a really beautiful book. Um, so along with the dictionaries and thesauri that I touched on earlier, which are aimed at um, guiding the spiritual interpretations of the Bible, um, the range in the religious text present um, kind of reflects this contemporary interest in uh, textual interpretations and how best to kind of approach um, contemporary texts, etc. Um, so I keep mentioning that there's quite a lot, there's an impressive range of texts within the city, li city library, um, uh, which old Clive does go into in his book as well so like I say if you want to have a flip through that after please do um, but he also notes Clive, um, that there's a lack of some contemporary writers including um, foreign writers such as Dante and Boccaccio etc but personally I think it's a bit more interesting to focus on what we do have here um, so alongside the overwhelming number of Bibles we have um, I was struck by, with the help of one of the modules that I studied um, in the second year, about the amount of um, like defence literature that the library holds. Um, it wasn't a genre that I was familiar with until I took this um, module in my second year, um, but it was a particularly um, prolific or popular um, genre in the early modern period, and it's kind of the 
um, precursor to critical critical essays. Um, they're usually quite personal and they cover kind of every topic under the sun. Um, so, like I said, in this module that I keep mentioning, um, I studied Philip Sidney's Defense of Poetry, which is quite a well-known one for people in the know. Um, but there are um, religious examples, scientific examples, literary examples, um, and on this note, there are a few, I don't know if I pulled any out today because I was running out of space, um, but there are a small collection of books in the city library um, that seem to kind of question the purity of Christ, which I found quite interesting um, when it's such a kind of religiously heavy collection otherwise, or a kind of devout collection. Um, so there's also a small collection of books uh, or number of titles by um, the Norwich-based Thomas Brown, whose statue most of you will probably have walked past um, outside next to McDonald's, for those of you who don't know Norwich, um, to get here. Um, so in the modules I keep mentioning, we studied um, Religio Medici, which was Thomas Brown's way of grappling with his um, profession as a medical man, but also his identity as a... Um, spiritual and religious man um, and it's, it was really exciting again I don't have it here today because there just wasn't enough space um, it was really exciting to finally see the text that I've been studying um, like in the flesh and um, I want to be a bit careful because one of my lectures is in the room but <laughs> while, while I was exploring the library um, on one of my first visits um, I came across one of his other texts um, which we will look at in a moment um, uh, called Pseudodoxica, Pseudodoxica Epidemica, um, which is kind of debunking a lot of old wives' tales, etc. And personally, I just think it sounds a bit more interesting, but I can't complain too much because now I get to like talk to you guys about it and see it in the flesh, so I can't be too, too annoyed. Um, so despite the fact I keep banging on about the range of texts within the library, um, show, you know, and the way that this might show us um, the interest of the contemporary users, um, the pattern of interest for the library is quite hard to identify, um, which is down to two main reasons. Firstly, um, because most of the texts have been donated, rather than being specific, or it seems that they've been donated, rather than being um, specifically bought um, to tailor to its users. Um, but obviously, you know, I don't know how much we can say that that's the reason why, because um, we know that the users were religiously devout and there are a lot of Bibles so it kind of does correlate um, but also the second reason um, is that there's quite a lot of commonplace books which are kind of um, struck quite a strange genre all on their own um, and the number that we have in the collection kind of skews where we think the interest might be um, so commonplace books were something that I encountered also on the modules that I studied um, they're kind of like a scrapbook but a bit more organised or more organised than the scrapbooks I've ever made anyway um, they will feature categories um, that the creator will compile relevant quotes um, passages from texts that they've read um, under these um, categories um, so it's kind of like when I like a passage that I've read in a book I'll like underline it or fold the corner down but instead of doing that they would I know, I, I had disgusted groans then, I know. Um, uh, so instead of doing that, defacing a book, they would um, create their own scrapbook instead. So maybe, maybe I should take up that, that habit. Um, 
But I rambled on for quite a while now. Um, I know I've, I speak quite quickly, so if anyone wants me to go back over anything, do just ask me. Um, hopefully I've given you a concise and interesting enough overview of who's who and what's what and how's how of the City Library and its foundation. Um, it's a collection of books that is highly interested in the religious and cultural and social um, and philosophical and scientific history of um, Norwich and wider. Um, and it's a really invaluable resource that we have here. So um, I hope that my overexcited rambling um, and also the opportunity to come and look at some of the books now will kind of have tickled your fancy. Um, I don't know how the best way to do this is because there's more of you than I thought there would be under mm -hmm. quite a small space. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll talk a little bit about them and then if people want to come up and look at them afterwards, then come and do that rather than doing it simultaneously, which is a bit of a shame because there's some really beautiful pictures, but you'll see them after. Um, so, do I flip around? No, I don't. Um, so this one here at the back here um, is the Pseudodoxica Epidemica that I was talking about. Um, kind of textually and visually, it's in comparison with some of the others that I called out, it's quite kind of like stereotypical book. Um, there's like not anything particularly inspiring about it. Um, but the printing and publishing um, process, obviously still quite a new one, um, quite costly, um, so not all of them are kind of all singing or dancing, although I do feel a bit bad because all of the others seem to be, it's just this one. Could you just tell us the date of the book as you um, talk about them, please? This one, that's a very good question. Sometimes they have it on the spine. This one's 1672. Um, but um, when you come up um, and have a little look at them, there's a passage about unicorns in this book, which is why, why I picked it, because um, who's I'm a sucker for a unicorn? Um, <laughs> and um, which is why I've also placed this one, which is the Autos Sanitatus, in front of it. Um, again, all in Latin, so my Latin GCSE has not stood me in enough stead to translate any of it for you, or read any of it for you, so sorry about that, but it's got just some beautiful um, images and illustrations that are still so, the colours are still so <coughs> vibrant, um, yeah. and it's things like this, um, when the colours are still so vibrant, it's things like this that uh, kind of hits me that, like, the history of this book, there's been there's been so much life to this book before I've kind of rambled on to you about it today, which I just think is really exciting. Um, so there's this um, page with the unicorns on, which which I'll leave it on for when you come up. Um, but earlier on in the book, there's some people in the front row might get sneak peek. But there's this guy who's a, it's a snake with a face, and. Like I mentioned, we get a lot of school visits. Unfortunately, I wasn't there for the, for the um, endearing naming of this character, but he's now become known as Snakespeare, which I just I just love that. He he won't be known as anything anything else now. But I'll leave I'll leave it on the unicorns. Um, maybe that sounds less exciting now. Um, so I couldn't fit it. It's on the trolley, which is a real shame. I couldn't fit it on my table. Um, but we've got there's a commonplace at the back um, about the Holy Bible, which I thought was quite interesting, um, kind of a religious text without being a Bible, which I just thought made it a bit more um, engaging. 
Um, a lot of the common places have um, uh, kind of scribbles and annotations in the margin where the creator or um, if they've been passed around kind of friends or what have you will have um, added extra notes which I that's another thing that really um, hits me about the history of these books that someone's kind of like I do with my books now scribbled in the margin I just think um, brings them so much to life um, and every time that I go and have a little explore in the in the stack, I always find odd books that have these really exciting um, like scribbles. And then I come to do something like this, and I'm like, oh, I must remember that book. And then I never do, which is really annoying. Um, but it's it's just so special when you do find those um, little scribbles. Um, and just to veer away from the city collection for a moment, we also have the Coleman collection, which is quite similar. Um, kind of dated and collection of books um, and there's a book in the Coleman collection whose name has completely escaped my mind um, it will come back to me later um, which is for all intents and purposes only kind of half finished um, so it's set out in a table format um, with some key historical um, events and dates pre-printed with the idea that the um, reader will then um, kind of finish it off, fill in their own personal events um, around the historical events that have happened and also moving into the future, which I just think is so reflective of the kind of, um, you get a lot of children's books now that are published as scrapbook style intended for like children to finish off and I just, I, the lack of change really over all those hundreds of years I just think is so fascinating. Um, what else did I pick out for us? We'll start at this end. Um, so this one has some, called Surgeon's Mate, has some really beautiful woodcuts. So um, most of the others do now, actually. Um, and it also has this um, fold-out bit as well, which I also find so fascinating. Um, I associate kind of pop-out, fold-out books so much with children now. Um, but yeah. to see this, when was this one? Sixteen fifty-five. Um, to see it present in a in a book from how many hundreds of years ago, um, in a much more kind of scientific format, I just think is so cool as well. Um, what else have we got? This one is just some um, like beautiful woodcuts as well. Um, often kind of start the title pages, and if I had the knowledge that I wish I had at this point, I could probably tell you bits and pieces about. Um, publishing houses would would um, kind of make their mark on somewhere on the um, opening pages, but um, I'll scrub up on that for next time, and then I'll tell you about that next time. Um, and then finally, this one over here, I had to include some Chaucer because studying Chaucer at A level was the um, we studied the wife of Bath at A level, and that's what really kind of whets my appetite for this period of literature. Um, so I've just opened it on the Wife of Bath's prologue and tale because I just feel like she's what set me on this journey, so I felt the need to show you all today. Um, and there's just quite a lovely woodcut there of um, her on her horse. <laughs>